The Witch's Garden is a children's picture book written and illustrated by Lydia Postma. It was first published in the Netherlands in 1978 under the title De Hekenstuen. In it, a group of children pass a little brick house on their way home from school each day. Trees cast ominous-looking shadows upon an unruly, overgrown garden. The children believe the elderly woman who inhabits the house is a witch. In an attempt to frighten her, they create a monster costume from various household items they have collected. Their performance compels the woman to come outside, and the children scramble in search of hiding places. She thanks them for the entertainment and invites them inside for a visit. Although the children are very wary, they follow her into the kitchen. And while they fill their bellies with the pancakes that she has made for them, she recounts her girlhood encounters with a mysterious circus populated by elves and fairies. After they have finished their meal, the woman takes the children for a walk to a nearby pond. Much to their disbelief and amazement, they are introduced to some of the woman's otherworldly friends. When the children depart, they are unsure as to whether the day's events really took place or if they were imagined. However, they each return to their homes with a renewed sense of wonder and a newfound respect and fondness for the woman. Hail and welcome to A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. I am Margot, your over-caffeinated and witchcraft-fascinated host, and it is Friday, March 17th. It is St. Patrick's Day, so happy St. Patty's Day to those of you who celebrate. But it is also just a few days before the spring equinox, or Ostara, as well as the new moon in Aries on Tuesday afternoon, March 21st, 2023, at 1.23 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Both Aries and Tuesday are ruled by Mars, the fiery planet of action, motivation, and getting things done. Energies that feel very much needed after the long dullness of winter. It feels very much like starting over. Where the vernal equinox in the Northern Hemisphere brings us balance and equilibrium, kind of like a zero point. And then the new moon in Aries signals the firing off point where we leap forward with our new plans for the coming spring. Like the start of a race, but without the competition. Or the running. Aries is also the first sign of the zodiac, which even further supports this feeling of starting fresh and new. And with the new moon immediately following the vernal equinox on a Tuesday, it seems as if we're starting off with a bang. This equinox-Aries-new moon combination feels very much like it's poised to unlock some incredible opportunities for new beginnings, fresh starts, and intention setting. So be sure to take advantage of that in the coming days. Borrow some of that momentum to speed along towards some of your goals. Or seek balance in the energy of the equinox and harness the Aries energy to fiercely protect that balance from anything or anyone who would seek to upset it. It is an extremely advantageous and expeditious time for most of our intentions. So, in the Northern Hemisphere, Monday, March 20th, is the astronomical end of winter at precisely 5.24 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and the beginning of spring. Many of you may celebrate the spring equinox, or Ostara, as I do, so I wanted to focus this episode on spring, Ostara, and the witch's garden, because spring and the equinox are all about rebirth, renewal, and all things that grow. In episode 7, I talked about Imbolc and how I liken it to the seed, poised to shoot forth, but still lying in wait in the dark, slowly thawing earth. And spring is the seedling the proof of life and its ability to regenerate, proof of the fertility of our earth and assurance in the promise of its abundance. 
and above all, the balance between light and dark, as the days are equal in light in length of sunlight and darkness at this time. I love this time of year for all these reasons. So let's explore the celebration of Ostara and discuss the beautiful and mysterious witch's garden. So Ostara, also known as the vernal equinox, is the pagan celebration that marks the time that the sun reaches its zenith or the point where the earth has positioned itself so that the sun is directly over the equator. This timing shifts about six hours each year, so the day typically falls on either the 20th or the 21st of March. It is the official start of spring in the Northern Hemisphere. In the Southern Hemisphere, it is the beginning of autumn, but depending on where you live, it may already be warm or warm all year round, regardless of the change of seasons, or possibly your surroundings are still covered in snow. Here in southern New Jersey, it has felt like spring has been on its way for most of what has been an oddly mild winter. In fact, we just had what I believe was only our second snowfall this winter on Tuesday. The word equinox derived from the Latin terms equus, meaning equal, and nox, meaning night, literally translates to equal night. And although the exact amount of daylight versus nighttime that each of us will experience actually depends on our distance from the equator, The moment when the sun reaches the point of being perfectly lined up with the equator is the moment when spring begins and the triumph of daylight hours over those of night will also begin. For this reason, there is a great emphasis on balance and the equality between night and day for a time. There is also a great emphasis on renewal and rebirth, for although the sun experiences its rebirth at winter solstice, we see its growing strength and power in the amount of daylight that we will soon begin to enjoy again. Rebirth and renewal is also seen in the earth, as the increase in sunlight and warmth begins to awaken our mother earth, whose soil begins to sprout new life and new vegetation, once again, begins to cover the surface of our beautiful planet. Plants begin to sprout from the ground again, trees begin to bud, and animals that were all winter in rest or hibernation begin to emerge. It is no wonder why witches, pagans, or anyone with a deep connection to the nature that surrounds them will see this as a time of great celebration. We can look at the time of year outside of any specific ancient or cultural context and find a reason to celebrate in these facts alone. And that may very well be a good thing, because the history, lore, and mythology, or rather the lack thereof, makes for a very murky background of the Ostara celebration indeed. Take the association with the goddess Istra or Ustra, for example. Today, many pagans associate Ostara both in name and in practice with the mysterious goddess of spring, but in truth, very little is known about her. In my readings, I have come across a story credited to her. As the story goes, on a winter day, the goddess Istra happened upon an injured and dying bird. To save the bird from her fate, Istra turned it into a rabbit and it was able to live on. But the change was not fully complete, for the rabbit, like a bird, was still able to lay eggs. So in a show of gratitude for the goddess, the rabbit decorated the eggs and then presented them to her as a gift. An interesting and charming tale, but it turns out it is actually based on a Ukrainian folk tale that is used to explain the origin of pasanki, the art form of beautifully decorated eggs. The tale has been retold as The Bird's Gift by Eric A. Kimmel, but the version that featured the goddess Istra was published in Miss Sharp's Traditions by Sarah Ban Breithnuck. 
Uh, from here, credit is given largely to the internet for the further spread of the tale until it was included in a children's magazine named Cricket in a story titled Coming of Istra. In truth, there is little to no documentation from history that links the celebration to the goddess of spring, fertility, and dawn, other than her similar associations and, of course, the similarity of her name with that of Ostara and even Easter. What we do know is that the first mention of her name from a Northumbrian monk named Bede in the year 725 CE. Bede wrote that pagans celebrated Eastra as feasts in April before the Christian holiday of Easter came into existence. I should add that many Germanic scholars have expressed their doubts about the accuracy of Bede's claim, but there is no evidence to either prove or disprove it. In fact, the decision on whether Eastra is a Celtic or Germanic goddess is an argument that also can't seem to be settled, as well as whether the goddess ever existed in any ancient mythology at all. Then we have another more aptly named goddess of spring that must be mentioned here, Ostara, who, according to the British scribe Bede the Venerable, was the Germanic name for the spring goddess that was celebrated during the month of April. She is said to have been honored in Germanic lands where her name was used as the name of the month of April as well. But Ostara, the celebration itself, is not an ancient holiday, at least not in the way that many modern witches observe it today because it was Gerald Gardner in his creation of the tradition of Wicca who pooled celebrations, customs, and even the word Sabbat, one that has some extremely eye-opening origins, and I highly recommend Witch History, Jews, and the Witch Craze by the podcast Jew Witches if you want a thorough background on the term, from different traditions to create the Wheel of the Year and the eight celebrations that make it up. So although the idea of an ancient holiday called Ostara, which takes its name from an ancient goddess who presides over this time of year, may not be founded in any truth, there are still many reasons for celebration during this time of year, and one doesn't have to look to ancient history to feel justified in partaking in the festivities of the coming of spring. There is truth to the fact that communities and cultures all over the world have celebrated the coming of spring throughout all time, whether it was from the observance of the astronomical occurrences taking place in the sky above them, or the commemoration of the annual rebirth of the earth and the regrowth of life-sustaining plants all around them. And you may feel particularly connected to the celebrations that can be traced back through your own culture, But if that does not apply to you, you can find reason to celebrate simply by looking out your window, venturing out into nature, and feeling the change in the vibrations of the earth and the life all around you. There is no one and no thing that is excluded from the observance and the honoring of the coming of spring. If you do want to spend this spring equinox venerating some springtime deities, there are many that are appropriate, and while I'd like to give the appropriate respect to every single one, it would not be possible. So here are a few that you can look into or maybe start off with if you decide to do some research on your own. Dionysus and Persephone were sacred to the ancient Greeks during spring. Festivals were held in March to celebrate the wine god Dionysus, as well as his Roman counterpart, Bacchus. Some of you may be familiar with Bacchanalia. And though it was not a festival specific to the celebration of spring, the timing would make this an appropriate time to honor this god. And of course, the spring is brought on by the return of Persephone from the underworld, as is told in the Greek myth that explains the seasons. Persephone's duality as both the goddess of spring and the queen of the underworld also lends further emphasis to the study, nature, and practice of balance that is so prevalent this time of year. 
The Greek Aphrodite and the Roman Venus are also said to be associated with spring. It was told that Aphrodite had flowers spring from wherever she walked after first rising from the sea, and Venus has long been associated with cultivated fields and gardens. Another Roman goddess, Flora, is known as the goddess of flowers and is often celebrated at the equinox, even though she has her own festival day, Floralia, which was upheld April 27th during the Republican era and now April 28th. A goddess that is considered the Celtic equivalent to Flora is Blodwed, who was made from flowers of broom, meadowsweet, and oak, and is known as the goddess of flowers, emotions, the wisdom of innocence, and the initiation ceremonies. She is also known as the ninefold goddess in the Western Isles of Paradise in Welsh mythology. The Norse goddess Freya was said to leave Earth during winter and return during spring. She is known as the goddess of sexuality, life, death, and magic. The Green Man is a potent personification of nature, especially in spring, as he is primarily interpreted as a symbol of the cycle of life, death, and rebirth, especially representing the cycle of new growth that occurs every spring. He is very much alive in all plant life, encouraging it to grow and thrive. The Hindu goddess Rati is the consort to the god of love, Kama, and she herself is associated with love, lust, passion, and sexual pleasure, and spring is an appropriate time of year to honor her. The Egyptian god Min is depicted as a giant phallus, as a god of fertility and creation. As the animals and land itself begin their process of reproduction, now is an appropriate time for honoring this fertility god as well. Along with him is another Egyptian god, Osiris, whose legendary story of death and rebirth can be seen as a metaphor for the arrival of spring and also an inspiration for other religious stories, including that of Jesus Christ. He is also a god that changes roles throughout the year, a little like Persephone, going from the embodiment of the dead and the resurrected king to the god of fertility and vegetation. The name Osiris is the Latinized form of the Egyptian Usir, which is interpreted as powerful or mighty. Kangdi, the blue-green emperor, is one of the five manifestations of Shangdi, Lord on High, the highest god amongst all other deities in ancient China. Kangdi is associated with the wood and spring, for which he is worshipped as a god of fertility. The blue-green dragon is both his animal form and constellation, and as a human, he was Tai Ho. His female consort is the goddess of fertility, Bixia. His planet is Jupiter. In Taino mythology, Atabe is an ancestral mother of the Taino, one of two supreme ancestral spirits in the Taino religion. She is worshipped as a zemi, which is an embodiment of nature and ancestral spirit. Not to be confused with a goddess, how she is commonly referred to in colonial terms to replace Taino verbiage and culture, and a zemi of fresh water and fertility. She is the female entity who represents the earth spirit and the spirit of all horizontal water, lakes, streams, the sea, and the marine tides. This spirit was one of the most important to the native tribes that inhabited the Caribbean islands of the Antilles, mostly in Puerto Rico or Borigen, Hispaniola, and Cuba. Atabe was so powerful she gave birth to herself as well as the world, making her one of the most formidable creation deities in mythical studies. As well as symbolizing fertility, Atabe is also the goddess of music and beauty. She's commonly depicted in frog form, sitting in the traditional cross-legged birthing position. 
and another powerful spirit known as Guaban Shi is the Zemi of Chaos and Disorder, described as a mercurial spirit that controlled the weather, conjuring storms known as Hurikan or hurricanes, when displeased. She is not believed to be a malevolent Zemi, but rather a manifestation of the supreme Adabe, since Adabe is believed to be the Taino Mother Nature that is a creator who represents fertility and maternal instinct, Guobanshi is considered her fierce and destructive side who can wipe the slate clean with one swoop of a hand. You can draw similarities when individuals speak of Mother Nature having both a loving, nurturing side and a chaotic, destructive side. And speaking of that, finally, Gaia. Another personification of our Mother Earth is one of the oldest of the Greek gods and goddesses. Although it is always a good time to honor Mother Earth, she awakens in spring, bringing her beautiful creations back to life with her. And before I move on, one final fact that supports the energy of newness, rebirth, and new beginnings at this time of year has to do with our calendar. If you've ever wondered why September, October, November, and December are the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th months of the year, even though their root words, septum, octo, novum, and decum, or dec, translate to the mathematical equivalents of 7, 8, 9, and 10, it's because in the Roman Julian calendar, the one that was used before the switch to the current Gregorian calendar, the beginning of the new year actually took place on March 25th. This also explains why Aries is the first zodiac sign and would place September rightfully as the seventh month, October as the eighth month, and so on. With this, let's move on to ways we can celebrate the energies of newness, rebirth, resurrection, and balance. From OutdoorApothecary.com, here are 13 ways to celebrate Ostara, the spring equinox. Number one, get outside and connect with nature. Getting outside to spend some time in nature is one of the best ways to celebrate Ostara and the spring equinox. Nature has been proven to improve your mental wellness and overall health. Try hiking, biking, picnicking, taking a nature walk, or a walk on the beach. Number two, plant new life. The vernal equinox is a great time to start planting your flowers and vegetables or beginning or tending to your witch's garden, which we will get to right after this. If it's too early to start planting outdoors where you live, you can start some windowsill herbs or seedlings for your garden indoors and get the jump on the season. Or if you're new to gardening and want to test your potentially green thumb out first, you can purchase low care house plants and place them where you can enjoy them. Number three, visit a site of ancestral importance. Old places connect us to our ancestors, giving us a sense of belonging and identity. Whether our ancestors came here long ago, recently, or lived here all along, the old places where they lived, worshipped, or laid loved ones to rest tell us about ourselves. Visiting these places can give us a sense of connection. Number four, prepare a family feast. One of my favorite ways to celebrate Ostara and the vernal equinox is to prepare a meal for my family. You might try some traditional springtime favorites such as deviled eggs, quiche, honey cake, lavender and lemon shortbread, or anything that is currently in season in your area. Number five, have a bonfire. There's something primitive about fire that can help us feel connected to the spirit of our ancestors. Sit around one during a spring equinox with friends and family and tell stories. Number six, make a nature craft. A favorite way to celebrate Ostara and the spring equinox is to make some springtime or nature crafts. A new wreath to hang on your door, some herb bundles or homemade cleaning solutions for an upcoming spring cleaning ritual, a seasonal piece of art or needlework, there's no limit to what you can do here. 
Number seven, decorate eggs. Another popular way to celebrate the equinox is to decorate eggs. Eggs are one of the popular symbols of Ostara with an emphasis on fertility, renewal, and rebirth. Don't want to work with real eggs in this insane economy? Purchase some wooden eggs that can be taken out as a seasonal decor year after year. Number eight, bring spring inside. Daffodils, forsythia, pussy willows, or tulips might be blooming right now. Bring some inside to brighten up your space. Take a walk around your neighborhood or woods nearby and collect signs of spring to bring indoors. Just be careful and vigilant of anything that could be harmful or an at-risk species of foliage. Number nine, set your intentions. Since spring is a time of renewal, rebirth, and new beginnings, the spring equinox is the perfect time to reflect on the past year and to set new intentions with goals to reach for in the coming weeks and months. And number 10, read about spring. With the promise of warmer weather and the optimism that winter is finally ending, now is a great time to read some spring stories or pour over some gardening or nature books. This may help you start planning that garden as well as some nice weather trips. 11. Do some spring cleaning. The spring equinox is a time for spring cleaning and cleansing. Spend some time physically and intentionally cleaning your space, especially those areas that have been neglected over the long winter months. Dust the shelves, sweep the floor, wipe down the surfaces. If possible, open a window and allow fresh air to flow in. Cleanse your space energetically with smoke cleansing or using a cleansing essential oil mist. Number 12. Start something new. With spring symbolizing new beginnings, now is a time to take up something new. Always wanted to try photography or some other hobby? Now is the time to make a commitment to yourself to try something new. Take some time for yourself to explore something that you've always wanted to try. Think about taking a class or starting a new hobby. And finally, number 13, establish a routine for daily nature connection. Start establishing a new routine for yourself that includes spending time in nature daily in some way. Commit to spending at least 15 minutes a day outside or start a nature journal that you write your reflections or observations of nature in. The ways you commit can be as small or as grand as you'd like, but I promise you won't regret time spent and your mental well-being will thank you. Okay, about that garden. The Witch's Garden. If you're a Patreon or if you've been following me on social media or frequenting my website, then you know that I'm a huge fan of the Magical Botanical Oracle deck by Maxine Miller and Christopher Penzak. The cards are filled with beautiful imagery and rich symbolism, and the information about the plant spirit medicine magic for each is truly a treasure trove of sacred knowledge. But beside these details, something that really stayed with me is what I read in the guidebook that comes with the deck. And I don't want to bungle the message, so I'm going to read a short part directly from it. The magical botanical oracle is born from a deep love of the green world as seen through the eyes of the witch. Witches see all things as alive, animate, and willing to commune with us, if we are willing to stop, slow down, listen, and commune with them. The art of each plant is drawn from this ability to tune in with the eyes that can see and the ears that can hear, to reach an understanding of the nature and personality of each plant, balanced with and verified by a deeper look at the magical lore and medicine surrounding each plant. What you have with you is a system bringing together some of the most unusual, interesting, and magical plants found in the witch's world. 
While all people are special, each with unique gifts and talents to offer the world, not everyone is called to follow the path of the witch and walk between worlds. Not everyone is called to develop their inner sight, cast spells, speak to ancient gods, and make potions to transform themselves and others. Likewise, all plants are special, each with their own unique beauty and offerings for the world. Yet there are quite a number of plants that are on their own witchy path. As our friend and author Judica Illis describes them, they are like witches among the other plants, called to a different path by their very nature. Just as many people are inherently witchy, the same can be said for our green friends. Many of the plants famous in witch lore are plants that are powerful on a chemical level. They could be great healers, poisons, or even psychoactive substances, just as the witch is famed for their ability to heal, hex, and open gateways into new worlds, so too do these plants. And these plants help teach and guide the witch upon the path of green wisdom to better learn our own abilities. Not everyone has access to so many unusual plants. We all live in different climates. Not all of us have the privilege of cultivating a garden of unusual plants. Many of us only have access to the exotic plants of the witch through small esoteric or occult specialty shops, gathering little packets and bottles of green and brown powders, the physical herbs for our spellcraft. Having ground roots, leaves, and flowers makes it difficult to really know the essence and the spirit of the plant. This deck functions in many ways, but primarily as a portal to better know the character and qualities of the plant spirits themselves, so you can make your own divine connections. The beautiful thing about working with the plants themselves as spiritual forces is that they are ever-present wherever we are in the consciousness of the earth, and having the living plant or dried powder of it is not necessary to access their wisdom and magic. Let these cards be a portal to these divine connections of the green world. Through them, the plant spirits will offer you guidance in the form of divination, counsel in your meditations, visions, and dreams, and magical aid when you call upon them in your ritual or spell work. Now, the reason why I love that so much is because of the comparison of some of these very unique and magical plants to actual witches, as if all in the plant realm were like human beings and a select few of them were special, magical, and go deeper into the meanings around them, just as witches do. And then something else that I loved about that is how you're presented with a deck of oracle cards and basically instructed that you can use this deck to connect with the spirits of the plants, even if you don't have direct access to them. And in keeping with the concept of the witch's garden, I think that's very, very important to consider because a witch's garden can be as elaborate as you want it to be, or as minimal as you want it to be. And it does not have to take away from your ability to connect to these plant spirits. So I thought with the approach of the spring equinox and the focus on nature, growth, the outside world, and even gardening that comes with that, I thought I'd go over some of the plants that can be found in the witch's garden, some plants to include in your own garden based on intention and power, and the incredible relationship you can develop with these immense spirits through a little determination and some care. A witch's garden can come in many shapes and forms, from an elaborate outdoor paradise of flowers, fruits, vegetables, and herbs, both baneful and beneficial, to a window shelf where a small collection of the most necessary and sacred plants to you thrive. It can be a beautiful glass greenhouse, a complex hydroponics system, a basic down-in-the-dirt patch of soil that has been worked and turned into a fertile oasis of flora, or a simple single raised bed. 
It can be a series of potted plants that fill a room or the entire interior of a house, or just a cabinet of fresh-picked and dried plants, along with a series of journals within which has been recorded everything the witch needs to know about the plants she most frequently uses, even though she isn't able to grow them herself. The witch's garden is what works for a particular witch. Indoor, outdoor, both, or neither. Either way, a witch knows which plants to grow and for what. They know how to care for them and how to connect with their spirit. So beyond the basic task of gardening, planning your garden will take some research and maintaining it will take some effort to truly connect with spirit. Starting simply, and I mean starting very simply and technically, you want to figure out what hardiness zone you live in and which plants will be able to thrive outdoors in your area or which ones you may need to consider growing indoors if it is absolutely necessary for your witch's garden. You may also want to test the acidity of the soil on your surrounding property if you're not planning on using raised beds and bringing the right soil in for your chosen plants. For example, I live in zone 7 and I have highly acidic soil. The trees and plants and herbs that have been able to thrive on my property love acidic soil and are well equipped to withstand the weather patterns in zone 7. These include magnolia, oak, dogwood, holly, blue spruce, juniper, blue hydrangea, azalea, rhododendron, Japanese pyrees, daffodil, heather, marigold, gardenia, iris, bleeding hearts, marjoram, oregano, thyme, rosemary. There are a number of fruits and vegetables that bode well in acidic soil as well, uh, especially in this time zone, time zone, especially in this hardiness zone, but I'll leave talk of culinary gardening for another time. Although some of my peppers certainly do find their place in my practice. But as for those that I rely on for plant magic most often, if they do not do well in the acidic soil found on my property, they are grown in a raised bed or indoors where I can be more in control over the climate as well as the soil. I have learned this lesson the hard way by failing again and again to grow precious lavender only to finally discover that it does not enjoy acidic soil. Something I've also learned to accept is that I can't grow everything on my own. Garlic, for example, does best in a hardiness zones one through five and needs full sun plus a period of 10 weeks of cold known as vernalization in order to produce a bulb and grows best in sandy loam that is well-drained. Not my soil or my hardiness zone, and my property gets plenty of shade thanks to large oak and evergreen trees. Garlic, among other things, I simply have to purchase to enjoy or make use of. So all of this is to say that taking the time to figure out how you will create your witch's garden and what type of zone or climate and soil you'll be working with will save you a lot of time and energy as you begin to build your skills as a caretaker of your plants. Now that the technically and technically a little bit boring part is out of the way, let's go over some plants you can grow according to the intentions you may have for them in your magical practice. And please keep in mind that some of the plants listed next are of the poisonous nature and much care should be taken when considering growing them, especially if pets or children are near. Some plants are considered dangerous if even handled, and this is simply a list based on intention. You will have to do your research and decide if you want to attempt to grow them, if you are even able to do so, or if you would prefer to procure them from another grower, or if a safer alternative is preferable to you, which is advisable in most cases. 
Okay, so for abundance and prosperity, plants that are great for this intention are honeysuckle, bluebell and grape, oak, pine, basil, blackberry or bramble, broom, chamomile, clover, comfrey, dill, fern, golden seal, heliotrope, blue iris, jasmine, tiger lily, marjoram, peony, sage, sweet woodruff, vervain, St. John's wort, blessed thistle, sinkfoil, ginger, galangal, hyjon, mandrake, and patchouli. For astral exploration, comfrey, belladonna, sinkfoil, dittany, galangal, ginger, gardenia, geranium, jasmine, monkshood, mugwort, henbane, orris root, thorn apple. For banishing, agrimony, angelica, basil, broom, clover, comfrey, fern, garlic, heliotrope, lilac, mugwort, peony, peppermint, rose, rosemary, rue, St. John's wort, snapdragon, Solomon seal, vervain, violet, yarrow, betony, whorehound, mandrake, mullen, nettle, patchouli, pepper, thistle, and wormwood. For blessings, there's chamomile, blessed thistle, daisy, fennel, mugwort, primrose, rose, St. John's wort, valerian, and yarrow. For divination, for divination and dream work, cedar, cypress, juniper, laurel, pomegranate, willow, witch hazel, yew, angelica, basil, broom, daisy, dandelion, hibiscus, honeysuckle, ivy, lavender, marigold, morning glory, mugwort, peppermint, rose, rue, common sage, St. John's wort, sweet woodruff, thyme, vervain, yarrow, bloodroot, sinkfoil, dittany, eyebright, goldenrod, henbane, mandrake, meadowsweet, moonwort, mullen, orris root, patchouli, thornapple, wormwood, worm, wormwood, and more specifically for dreams, lovage, passionflower, agrimony, catnip, chamomile, heather, and heliotrope. For grounding, there's cypress, elder, juniper, pine, spruce, blackberry slash bramble, chamomile, lavender, common sage, vervain, red clover, and patchouli. For love, Okay, for love, the list is virtually endless, so I'm going to shorten it a bit. Apple, cherry, magnolia, maple, basil, carnation, feverfew, heather, honeysuckle, ladies' mantle, lily of the valley, marjoram, rose, violet, aloe, betony, black cohosh, bloodroot, ginger, galangal, mullen, skullcap, spikenard, wormwood, patchouli, clover, hyacinth, jasmine, Lily, Lovage, Strawberry, Raspberry, Meadowsweet, Gardenia, and Rosemary. And for protection, another very, very long list, so I will also shorten this a bit. Birch, Cedar, Holly, Oak, Willow, Yew, Agrimony, Aloe, Angelica, Basil, Bittersweet, Blackberry slash Bramble, Broom, Blessed Thistle, Feverfew, Foxglove, Whorehound, Lady's Slipper, Mandrake, Geranium, Lavender, Lily, Marjoram, Rue, Mustard, Orris Root, Pepper, Thistle, Wormwood, Spearmint, Thyme, Vervain, Yarrow, and Rose. Again, 
please keep in mind that some of the listed items here were of the poisonous nature and should be taken great care when growing them, especially if pets and children are near. Some plants are considered dangerous even to be handled, and this is simply a list based on intention. You will have to do your research and decide if you want to attempt to grow some of these, if you are even able to, or if you would prefer to procure them from other growers, or if a safer alternative is preferable to you, which is advisable in most cases. And there are many more intentions and powers you can research in planning your garden, including luck, magic, courage, strength, war, destruction, healing of all kinds, justice, you name it, there's a plant that can help you with it. And there are a number of culinary fruits and vegetables that have powerful properties that can be incorporated into your spell work, as well as into kitchen witchery. It can be extremely enjoyable taking the time to learn about your area, what grows naturally there, what can grow in your own soil, and what will need extra tending to or indoor care. And then taking even further time to find out which of these plants can be powerful allies in your practice. This is what the Witch's Garden is about. Researched and practiced work in cultivating all the ingredients that make up your own unique and highly specific magical practice. And once you're able to develop a relationship with these plant allies you rely so heavily on, everything else will fall into place. And this can be done with a beautifully planned outdoor garden or a bay window. Your witch's garden will be nothing more and nothing less than exactly what you need, what you can accommodate, and what you can handle. Before I let you go, I want to read a simple witch's garden from Alice Hoffman's Magic Lessons, the prequel to Practical Magic. A simple witch's garden. Sage for headache, summer savory for colic. Green wormwood for wounds mixed with vinegar or rum, then apply. Hyssop for the lungs. Colt's foot and flaxseed for coughing. Motherwort to quiet the nerves. Sweet balm tea for fever. Horseradish mixed with warm vinegar for aches in the feet. Mallows steeped in milk for dysentery. Savory to give good fortune. Parsley to see the future and make wise choices. And another, perhaps much more iconic, excerpt from yet another Alice Hoffman book, Practical Magic. There are some things, after all, that Sally Owens knows for certain. Always throw spilled salt over your left shoulder. Keep rosemary by your garden gate. Add pepper to your mashed potatoes. Plant roses and lavender for luck. And fall in love whenever you can. Okay, That is all that I have for you today. Be well and have an amazing weekend. And one more thing before I forget, or actually I did forget and I'm recording this in post. I just wanted to include a reminder here that next week there will not be a podcast episode because it will be the first of my quarterly breaks that I am taking in order to stay on top of all the other life things and save my sanity. So I just wanted to remind you guys next week is my break and I will resume episodes on the 31st where we will continue with Fortune and Flora and I believe we we will be talking about the lovers. Also, don't forget to check out anahatasperpose.com slash 
tour. If you're at all interested in the Jim and Jupe tour, that is sipping on Jim and Jupe with uh, the Witch Bitch Amateur Hour and two Geminis and a Leo, two podcasts that had live shows at last year's Anahata's Purpose. They were both absolutely fantastic. They are both absolutely fantastic. And together, it's going to be pure magic. There are four shows lined up currently, and they are themed. Two shows in Philadelphia, which I believe are going to be Wild West themed and emo themed, and then a show in Nyack, New York, as well as a show in Baltimore, which will be prom themed and paranormal themed. They are all expected to be an amazing time, and I will be at every single one. So I hope to see you and meet you in person there. Once again, it's anahataspurpose.com slash tour. Thank you so much. Have an amazing weekend and be well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. If you like what you've been hearing, please drop me a review wherever you listen. If you want some more content, please go to www.aisforagrimony.com, where you can find my blog, episode archive, spells and rituals, and soon to come, the coven shop. You can also follow me on Instagram at a underscore is underscore for underscore agrimony. That's an underscore in between every word. Or like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash a is for agrimony. Want to contact me? Shoot an email to reachmargo at a is for agrimony.com. And if you're interested in some exclusive bonus content, you can join me over on Patreon at patreon.com slash a is for agrimony, where I share early release, unedited video format episodes, weekly collective card readings, monthly spells, and much more. You're also welcome to send me some snail mail, if you're that kind of person, to P.O. Box 397, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, zip code 08003. I'd love a good surprise. or not. I don't know. Anyway, thank you for listening. Be well and have an amazing weekend.